Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. As COVID-19 continues surging across Arizona and the nation, we take a look at the rollout of vaccines and the promise they hold for getting us through this crisis. This week, the Arizona Department of Health Services opened its 24-7 mass vaccination site at the NFL Stadium in Glendale and gave out 11,000 doses in just the first few days. On Thursday, the state announced they'll be opening a second stadium mass vaccination site in early February, also in Phoenix. Since vaccinations began in Pima County in mid-December, the county has distributed more than 35,000 doses. That's one of the highest vaccination rates by population of counties in the state. But Pima County health officials say that's still a far cry from where they'd like to be. This week, Pima County announced an accelerated vaccination plan for COVID-19. In a Wednesday news conference, Pima County Health Department Director Teresa Cullen and Pima County Chief Medical Officer Francisco Garcia laid out the plan, which includes an expected goal of more than 300,000 immunizations administered by the end of March. This is a very aggressive plan that calls upon a lot of different partners to be activated in the process. Uh, The issue of delivering vaccines on this scale is an absolutely uh, complicated uh, logistical lift uh, with a lot of elements that are not directly in our control. The first and most important element that is not directly under our control is the supply of vaccine that is being delivered to the state and therefore being sent to the county's vaccinators for their allocation. Pima County's population is about 1.1 million people, but excluding children who are not currently eligible and those that choose not to get a vaccine, county officials estimate that we need to vaccinate about 720,000 people in order to achieve herd immunity. But because the two currently approved vaccines each require two shots, we need double that amount of doses. If there is sufficient vaccine, the county hopes to have roughly half of those done by the end of March. And as a result, Dr. Garcia says we could achieve full community protection by June or July. At this point, the the, the limiting factor is vaccine availability. And yes, we will get to the kind of population coverage that we think is necessary to achieve community protection. But this is a multi-month process. On Tuesday, the Trump administration announced it would release all available vaccines rather than holding half back for the second round of shots. Pima County officials say they hope that will increase the vaccine's availability, but there's still not a lot of clarity about when that will happen. For the next couple of weeks, Pima County is hoping to get about 12,000 doses per week. If the ramp-up program goes as hoped, at maximum performance, the county would have the capacity to vaccinate 12,000 people per day and possibly expand to as many as 16,000 a day. But again, only if the vaccines are available. In order to distribute all those vaccines, the county and its partners are opening four distribution sites in addition to the two that have been operating at Tucson Medical Center and Banner UMC. Vaccination sites at the Kino Sports Center and the Tucson Convention Center will open in the coming days. The University of Arizona distribution site should open in the coming weeks along with the one at the Riedo Racetrack.
The TCC will target protective service workers, while the University of Arizona will focus on educators. In addition, there are smaller-scale distribution sites, and Dr. Cullen anticipates those will grow in the coming months, especially as they work to increase access to more rural areas of the county. As we move forward, we anticipate to accelerate our vaccination distribution points, resulting in an increased ability to provide immunizations. Starting today, the county will move into Phase Priority 1B, which targets those 75 years old and older, teachers and child care workers, and protective service workers like law enforcement. After those groups follow other essential workers and adults in congregate living settings. An explanation of all the phases is available on our website. This week, the CDC announced that anyone 65 and older should be eligible for vaccination, a change from its earlier guidance. On Thursday, Arizona announced that group would be added to Phase 1B, but behind the current priority group of educators, essential workers, and those 75 and up. Dr. Cullen says Pima County does not have plans to advance that demographic ahead of other priority groups at the moment. The reason for that is we look at our mortality and our hospitalization data, and we have a clear demarcation at 75 and up. Cullen says there have been some instances of non-healthcare workers getting vaccinated in the first group and pleaded that the community respect the priority guidelines when signing up for registration. Those registering for Priority 1B may be asked to provide identification to prove they're eligible, such as proof of employment by a school district or university. But Dr. Garcia says lack of an Arizona driver's license, for example, will not be a barrier to getting a vaccine. We will figure out how to get everybody who needs to be vaccinated, because at the end of the day, people all live in the same community. And it is in everybody's best interest that we reach a level of community immunity just as soon as we can. That's what matters. Dr. Garcia says they're glad to see so much enthusiasm and anticipation in the community to get vaccinated, but reminded people that not everyone has to sign up on day one because the process will take months. And those who get vaccinated need to remember that wearing a mask, washing hands, and social distancing will need to continue for months. Because recall that that being vaccinated does not confer you some magical immunity um, and doesn't will not let you get away with not doing the, the needed mitigation measures. That is only achieved when we achieve a certain amount of population coverage. Pima County submitted its vaccination plan to the state this week and says that should help ensure the county gets a regular, reliable amount of vaccine to meet its objectives. You can find links to the county's registration site in the show notes on our website. Alicia Thompson has been the director of the Cochise County Health Department since November 2020. She says vaccine rollout is complicated in a more rural county such as hers. Some of the other counties, most of their population is focused in a single area, but we have multiple fairly large population centers. And so we've got Douglas, we've got Bisbee, we've got Sierra Vista, we've got Benson, we've got Wilcox, we've got Tombstone, and then we've got Portal. And so being able to 
logistically get testing services and get the vaccine distribution out to all of our communities in a equitable manner is a challenge. Thompson says in spite of the challenges, her department is working to offer vaccine distribution throughout the county. Cochise County is only using the Moderna vaccine because of its more moderate temperature requirements. She says currently they can only order 500 doses a week. These are really small amounts of vaccine because the population that we are going to be vaccinating in 1B includes utility workers, the food and agricultural workers, mail delivery, manufacturing, grocery store workers, public transit workers, etc. The teachers, the aides, the child care workers, the law enforcement, corrections, fire, and every single individual 75 and older living in Cochise County. So what does it feel like to get the vaccine? Alex is a progressive care nurse in Tucson who asked us not to use her last name because she worries speaking to the media could put her job in jeopardy. She shared her firsthand experience. I got the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine on Monday and it was as smooth as anything I could have expected. Uh, the staff at the hospital made it quick and easy and comfortable. I received the vaccine, the first dose um, in my left deltoid and it was really sore for a day and I took some ibuprofen and then completely forgot that I had even gotten a vaccine. So I have been trying to very eagerly and with lots of excitement share my experience with my coworkers who might be a little bit apprehensive still mm -hmm. about how lovely the experience was for me and what it means for our ability to take care of our patients. COVID-19 hospitalizations in the state remain at their highest levels yet, and the state has recorded more than 10,800 total deaths. Alex says hospitals are maxed out, stressing staff like herself, especially following the winter holidays. We are continuing to remain at capacity with overflow, different areas in the hospital being utilized as inpatient care facility or care units um, for patients waiting to transfer out or who are on comfort care or hospice and having no place to go. She says the FDA approval process has deemed the vaccine safe and effective. She's excited about the vaccine rollout being expanded, but is concerned about people complying with the two-dose regimen. We know that follow-through is difficult to manage uh, with patients. So my hope is that people will take this seriously and continue, uh, even after they've received both doses, to adhere by um, social distancing and wearing masks in the public until we have any number that remotely resembles a herd immunity or a vaccination, a population that's been vaccinated adequately. Earlier this year, the Trump administration promised to have as many as 300 million doses of vaccines distributed as early as October. That figure was later dropped to 20 million by the end of 2020. As of this week, the U.S. has so far distributed about 10 million doses of vaccine. Felicia Goodrum is a virologist and professor of immunobiology at the University of Arizona. 
we asked her to help us understand why the pace of vaccine rollout nationally has been slow. You know, it kind of comes down to the whole pandemic has been sort of left to states. And so, um, you know, this is not something that we have had a lot of experience with. And now millions of doses of vaccines are being manufactured, but there was actually no plan put in place for the distribution of those. And of course, this has been done before. We're not reinventing the wheel. It was done with smallpox and polio, um, but it takes a lot of mobilization. And if you look at what's going on um, in our community, you know, we're, this, the public health departments and the hospitals are being hammered. Um, and, and it's all hands on deck to deal with the pandemic. And so now to add the responsibility of a vaccine rollout on top of that, it's equally challenging. In the past, the National Guard has been used for vaccine rollouts and to make sure that vaccines are getting distributed and um, into the arms of people uh, who need them. And that, that's not happening. And so it really is up to the state to figure out how to get this going and local health departments. And so it is an onerous task. I am hopeful though, that you know, we are gonna see um, this evolving in the right direction and, and really speeding up in the next couple of weeks. So why is speed important in this process? Well, <laughs> the pandemic is really raging out of control, especially in Arizona. And what we need to do is start preventing that. And that the vaccine is really the only way to do that other than the distancing and masking um, that we've been asking people to do. And so it is a two dose vaccine, which provides the additional complication that is that you are not fully protected until two weeks after that second dose. So we really just need to get this process started because even if we were to vaccinate everybody today with their first dose, we are still looking at mid to late March before people are fully protected. The vaccines that uh, are out there right now seem to be, and I know we don't have a lot of data yet on them because this is all so new, but they seem to be very effective. 90, 95% is what we're hearing. Is there a point where, for example, in Arizona, we get to a certain percentage of the population vaccinated and people can start to take a breath and relax a little? Obviously, we're, we're probably not even close to that number at this point, but is there a magic number where things get really good? Yeah, somewhere between sort of 65 and 70 percent of the population is where we can start talking about herd immunity. That's going to be a challenging number to get to when about 50 percent of the population has said that they're not sure they will get the vaccine. And so that's going to be a problem because it's going to keep the immunity pretty leaky as far as us being able to let down our guard. The other problem is, is that, that this is so new and there is a lot of science that's outstanding that we need to know what level of protection we will have. And so for someone that gets the vaccine, this is going to prevent severe disease, but does it prevent them from getting infected and still being able to shed virus asymptomatically? These are things we don't know. And so we need to get as many people vaccinated as possible as quickly as possible and still keep up um, our mitigation measures of distancing and masking to make sure that we are really gonna start seeing numbers fall and a, a safer return to a more normal life. When it comes to when the numbers start to drop, whenever that is, and everybody hopes it's much sooner rather than later, is there any concern that 
people in the general public will see the numbers starting to drop, hopefully significantly, and say, oh, I, I don't need the vaccine. Yes, I think all of that is a potential problem with any vaccination campaign. Um, and I think what we need to do, what is so important is that we continue to get the message out about how important the vaccine is, how safe the vaccine is, and how it is our best chance to save lives. Um, and you know, our hospitals are full right now at absolutely maximum capacity. The stories coming out from ICU doctors and nurses are horrific. The nursing staff is spread as thin as it can possibly be spread. Elective surgeries are being canceled. You know, we need to get out of the position we're in right now and the vaccine is our absolute best chance for doing that. But it's really important for people under to understand the importance of the vaccination and then the importance of continuing the mitigation. What should people expect for the next six months in terms of virus cases and rate transmission, do you think? Well, I hope we're going to start seeing things go down, but Arizona hasn't really peaked yet. We're hopefully going to start to plateau following the holidays, but right now we're in a really precarious spot, um, especially for our healthcare system. And so we're hoping to see those numbers go down, but it, it really is very much up to what individuals are doing and the, and the efficacy of the vaccination program and, and getting it out there and, and getting people vaccinated as quickly as possible. Uh, we are now seeing big, massive vaccination sites opening up. Maricopa County and the state announced that uh, the, the stadium in Glendale will be open 24-7. In Pima County, we have the Keno Sports Center. The university is getting involved. What needs to happen to make these places effective, do you think? Getting people in there, you know, getting the message out and getting people in there and, um, and, and making sure that as long as vaccine is available, that we are getting people vaccinated. And so there needs to be a lot of public health messaging about the importance of this and why it's important. What are the risks and what are not the risks? There's so much mis or disinformation out there about concerns that the vaccines will cause infertility or that the vaccines will integrate into your DNA. These things are completely untrue. It is, you know, people have sort of likened the virus, uh, the vaccine, being an RNA vaccine to being like HIV and that it can integrate into your genome. This is not true. This is RNA that will be cleared from your system within weeks, completely cleared. There's not gonna be anything hanging around in residual. All you're left with is the immune response to the piece of the virus that the vaccine is presenting to your immune system. And so there is no risk to fertility or long-term risks to the integrity of your DNA with this vaccine. And so we really need people to understand that. There's now this new, more contagious strain of the virus, a variant, and there's evidence that the Pfizer vaccine is effective against this strain. How worried should we be about new strains of this virus? Right, so viruses mutate and change. That is simply what they do. And so it's normal that we are going to start seeing variants emerge. It is one of the reasons we want to limit how many people are being infected with the virus because that limits the evolution and the emergence of new variants. Um, what we would need to be worried about is variants that begin to pop up with alterations in the spike protein. And those alterations would maybe render the vaccine less effective. We have not seen uh, any variants emerging really that that is 
a particular issue, but they are to be expected. They'll be able to modify the vaccine very quickly. And this may become something very similar to the annual flu vaccine is where we have to every so many years become re-vaccinated with a slightly different vaccine that recognizes the new strains. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks. It's great to be here. That was Felicia Goodrum, a virologist and professor of immunobiology at the University of Arizona. Another key question raised during this vaccine rollout is whether employers can and will require staff to get the vaccine. We put that question to Kieran Goff, a UA law professor and lecturer at the Applied Health Policy Institute. The short answer is yes, with some caveats. So there is significant case law with regard to vaccine mandates, uh, specifically in certain contexts. The employer is one and uh, schools are another, but there are some caveats. So uh, first of all, this is something, this type of public health law generally falls to the states. So state laws differ considerably in terms of what kind of vaccinations are required at the state level and, and what employers are allowed to require. Uh, now, there are some limitations based on the U.S. Constitution and U.S. law. Specifically, the, the most notable one is the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So people are required to be allowed exemptions to requirements if they have some sort of disability, and, and sometimes in other circumstances as well, such as religious exemptions. Now, there are some things that make this situation a bit unique. So to my knowledge, there is not a lot, if any, legal precedent for vaccines that have been approved by an emergency use authorization. So that changes the analysis a bit. And there are special requirements for an emergency use authorization in terms of, of consent and people being allowed to refuse a vaccine. Another thing that makes this situation unique is that many states have uh, are in the state of emergency, but the EEOC has released guidance with regard to uh, the legal issues related to the vaccine that will specifically influence employers. And that guidance has basically indicated that the requirements that are legally permissible will be similar to that under normal circumstances. Is there any difference in the law between public sector and private sector employers, be it a state government, a municipal government, um, the University of Arizona, since it's public, versus private sector like Raytheon or Caterpillar or one of our other large um, employers here in southern Arizona? Not to my knowledge. What I've read is that it's pretty general that employers are allowed to require vaccines although it matters the context. So for example, uh, it's much more common in healthcare settings. Another important point is that state and local governments are allowed to require vaccines in certain employment contexts. So it can, employment restrictions can happen at the employer level or at, at the state level. Do you anticipate that many employers will require the COVID-19 vaccine or require at least disclosure of employees to indicate whether or not they have received it? I don't think so. 
at least, I mean, this is a really rapidly changing situation, but based on what's happening currently, I don't think that will happen anytime soon for a few reasons. One is that the general consensus so far seems to be that people hypothesize that strategic messaging and education and encouragement might be more effective than mandates, particularly in a situation like we're in where there's cons considerable polarization. And you know, I don't think people respond as well to mandates or eye rolls at, uh, at vaccine hesitancy. I think people respond to really being engaged in a conversation and uh, helping them to address their fears in terms of the safety. Now, there are some exceptions in certain contexts. I, I foresee certain employers requiring it more quickly than others. For example, healthcare settings, which is true, they require vaccines for other diseases as well. But I don't anticipate large spread mandates from employers. Eventually, if a vaccine is developed for children, do you anticipate schools requiring it just like they require um, measles now and, and all kinds of other things for, for kids to go to school once the vaccine is developed for kids? Well, the long-term answer is a little bit different than the short-term answer. So, so you, as you described, this vaccine has not been tested on children and it is approved under emergency use authorization. So it's not likely to be required soon. And you know, once there's full FDA approval, that might change. There is also, you know, there's an issue with all of everything going on in the pandemic in terms of which populations pose the highest risk. And with children, you know, they can carry the vaccine, which is definitely a consideration, but they're not as likely to get seriously ill. So all of that sort of plays into the likelihood of whether or not it will eventually be required. I think there's a decent chance that as circumstances change, it may eventually be required similar to the way that other vaccines are, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Okay, well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. That was Karen Goff, a UA law professor and lecturer at the Applied Health Policy Institute. You can find more details about the vaccine rollout in Pima County on our website. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.